Okay, so I want you to imagine or, or, or picture in your mind uh, the Finker statue, right? So you know the one, right? Like the, this guy, right? Okay, so can you, can you imagine it, right? So all of its details, all of its intricacies. Now I want you to imagine that uh, it's opening day, right? So they're about to reveal the Finker statue. And so the artist pulls back the curtain and there's just a lump of bronze. Would we consider that a masterpiece? No, of course not. I, I, it's not until someone comes in and transforms that lump of bronze that strips away all the excess stuff that doesn't belong that the masterpiece is revealed. A, a, and we are, are in a similar situation. Whenever we accept Jesus as our Savior and King, uh, God begins the sanctification process. This is his, his transforming work into our, uh, in our lives to, to make us into a masterpiece, into a reflection of him, a reflection of his, his goodness, his justice, his love. A and he, he does this in part by chipping away, by removing all of the things that don't belong, that aren't reflections of him. And we would refer to those things as sin. Uh, sin is simply uh, anything that is in rebellion uh, to God. And, and here's the point. Here's the point of what we're talking about tonight. If we want to grow, we have to die. We have to die to our old way uh, of living. And, and I know that sounds rather extreme. Uh, why, can't, why can't we just allow some things to linger on? What's the big deal? Uh, and this is actually the question that the, the Roman church was, was wrestling with in Romans chapter 6. If you look at verse 1, Paul raises a, a hypothetical question. Um, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So they had this thought in their mind. Hey, what's the big deal if I sin? Because that just gives God opportunities to show me grace, which means sinning can't be that big of a problem. To which Paul responds in verse 2, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? See, the Christian has to die to sin. It's not something that can just linger around. And yet it often does. Uh, and so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things that we have to die to in order to grow. Three things from our old life, our old self, that, that continue to linger and fight to, to, uh, to stay alive. And so the first one is we need to die to our old way of thinking. Uh, look at verse 6 and 7 with me. We're in Romans chapter 6. Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay. I want you to imagine a city. In the city, there are only two classes of people, the elites and the commoners. And the elites have absolute power in this city. They're, they're totally, totally dominant here. A and so to remind the commoners of this, they, they make this decree. Anytime an elite walks past the commoner, the commoner has to stop and perform the universal sign of respect, which in that culture was to rub your belly and pat your head. Uh, and so this went on for some time, until a king came and conquered the city. And this king was a good and kind ruler, and so he hears about this law and says, that's ridiculous. Abolish. It's, it's brought to nothing. 
But the elites didn't like that so much. And so they decided that they would continue to demand the universal sign of respect from the commoners. And the commoners went along with it. Now, what do you think the king would do when he shows up in the city and sees the commoners still performing this ridiculous sign of respect? My guess is he'd say something like this. What are you doing? <laughs> don't you understand? You don't have to do that anymore. You're free. And that is exactly what Paul is telling us here. See, before Jesus, we didn't have a choice. We were under sin's domain. We had to obey it. But now, because we have been crucified with Christ, sin, its power, has been brought to nothing. We don't have to listen anymore. Uh, now, sin will certainly make demands of us. It will, it will pressure us. It will even try to entice us to obey it. But it can't make us obey it anymore. And this is quite, uh, quite a change of thought because even on this side uh, of accepting Jesus as our Savior, we still act like uh, we can't say no. Uh, we treat sin like it is a tidal wave that no one can withstand. But that's simply uh, the old way of thinking, uh, that, that we don't have a choice. Uh, and what needs to happen I I is we need, need a new way of thinking, which uh, Paul summarizes very well in verse 11. He says that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't just positive thinking. It's not, well, if I think this to be true, then maybe it will become true. Uh, it's actually the reverse. This is what's true. You have been crucified with Christ. You're dead to this. You don't have to listen to it. Therefore, start thinking that way. Uh, and so all Paul is telling us to do in a very practical way is to declare to yourself, sometimes even out loud, I don't have to do this anymore. Um, I don't have to fight with my siblings anymore. I don't have to continue the rumor. I don't have to go to that website anymore. I can just say no. Uh, and so we have to die to this old way of thinking that we don't have a choice anymore. But what, <laughs> what will inevitably happen if we start thinking like this, we'll say, I don't have to do this anymore. And sin will come back and they'll say, you know, you're right. You don't, but you want to. See, old habits are very hard to die to. And so we can't just die to an old way of thinking. We have to die to an old way of living, to our old habits. And, and here's where we really need to uh, make sure we understand what sin is. Um, normally, we define sin something like Paul does in uh, uh, verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as, an instru as instruments for unrighteousness, right? And so this is what we might call sins of commission. We are actively choosing to sin against God, to rebel against what he's decreed. And so the logic in the head is something like, well, I know I shouldn't, but, and then we do it, right? We're, we're, we're actively, willingly doing something. And this is a great baseline for understanding what sin is. But this is our only understanding of sin, and we're in trouble. Uh, look what he says in verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Did you catch the change there? Verse 13 is active. You're willingly choosing to cross a line. Verse 12 is passive. You're just letting it remain. And that's often how we define sin, right? We, we draw lines in the sand and say, as long as I don't do that, 
I'm good. As long as I don't step outside of this boundary, I'm good. I haven't sinned. But that's not what Paul is saying here, is it? He, he, he's saying that, that simply allowing sin to remain, right? Trying to manage our sin is just letting sin reign in your life. Uh, see, when we try to manage sin, sin will just end up managing us. It'll just end up controlling us. But managing sin is our default setting. And here's why. We like our sin. The sin that we have such a hard time kicking to the curb, we actually are quite fond of. A- a- and so, so we try to contain it, we try to manage it and control it, but we just can't bring ourselves to die to it. Um, and yet that's what we have to do. That's what we're, we're called to do, as he says in the second half of verse 13, that we have to present ourselves to God as those who have been, bought, uh, been brought from death to life. And so we try, right? We, we put in a good effort. And if you've tried, perhaps you can resonate with the, the words of the Apostle Paul, one chapter over in uh, Romans 7, verse 19. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That we inevitably fail when we try to war against sin. And that, that causes a, a number of reactions in us. For some of us, whenever we, we fail to die to our sin, we actually feel like a failure and that we're unlovable, that God wouldn't want us because we can't overcome this. For some of us, um, it's just justification for not trying. Well, I couldn't beat it anyway, so wh- why would I war against this thing? Um, and, and for some, it, it's, a, it's a challenge, right? That I just got to pull myself up by my moral bootstraps and just try harder and be more disciplined. But all of those reactions <laughs> will not actually bring about the growth that God's looking to see in our lives. What we actually have to do is die to one more thing, and, and that is to die to our old masters or our old idols. And, and I don't mean to insult your modern sensibility when I speak of idols. I don't actually think that any of you go home and bow down to like a little minifigure of something. Uh, when I say idol, I'm referring to the thing that you love most, whatever you deem as most essential in your life. Uh, so uh, when you have this thing, it makes you feel significant. Like when I have this thing, yes, I am important. Or as long as I have this thing, life can be crazy out there, but I'm fine. It makes you feel secure or, or, or successful. Um, and, and this is... W- and we have to understand what our idols are because our idols are often attached to those sins that we can't, we can't seem to beat. Um, take gossip, for example, right? So gossip is a sin habit that basically everyone struggles with, and yet very few people seem to actually be able to beat. And I propose to you the reason for that is there's an idol attached to the sin. Um, so, for example, maybe your idol is power. That, that you just get a, a rush of adrenaline and you love the feel that with just a few words to the right person, I can bring someone to their knees. Or, or maybe it's, um, it's approval, right? Like w- w- when you have s- juicy stuff to share, people like you. They want to hear from you. They want to be around you. Uh, a- a- and so anytime there is a lingering sin that we just can't seem to get rid of, there's always something attached to it, where we say, I know that obeying God is important, but having this thing, that's essential. And Paul uh, gives us a rather um, 
offensive, if you will, uh, illustration of this in verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, <coughs> excuse me, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He compares whatever we deem essential to slavery. They are our masters. Whatever we need is our master. Right? And that's, an, that's troubling to us mostly because of our American history with slavery. So we have to understand that slavery in the first century was a little different in that um, you could voluntarily sell yourself into slavery, that you would commit to totally obeying your master, in return they would meet all of your needs, which sounds like an okay deal until you realize the, the power vacuum there, that the, s- that the person who was um, committing themselves to slavery had to obey no matter what, Ah, but the master could let something slide if he so chose. And I want you to also to notice that Paul doesn't c- contrast it um, enslaved to unrighteousness and free in God, right? It's you are either uns- enslaved to unrighteousness or you are enslaved to righteousness. In other words, we are all mastered by something. All of us look to something to have our needs met. So the question is not, will you have a master? It's, which one will you have? And Paul proposes that you should look at how the master pays to determine it. Look at verse 20 with me. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's Paul's point. Every master pays something. Only one of them pays life. Every master will pay you something. Only one of them will actually give you what you need. And his case is that Jesus is the one who gives you what you need. And here's how you know that to be true. Jesus is the only master that ever died for you. I guarantee you that anything else that offers to meet your needs is not willing to die for you. And yet Jesus was and did, which leads Paul to say in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Guys, here is then the key to dying and therefore the key to growing. We have to grasp, we have to understand the love, uh, the grace, the provision that God has lavished on us in Jesus. See, when we grasp that, it's very easy to die to all these other things. And so that's what I want to challenge you guys with tonight. One, strive to behold, to see, to grasp, to experience the love that God has for you in Jesus and let that fuel your fight. Go to war, because you have to die if you want to grow.